Well, since as we're recording, we probably should maybe talk. It's no All right, are we, start, are we yeah, starting we're, now? <laughs> we're starting now. Hey, and no driving gloves tonight. Um, I always say everybody, but am I supposed to be a personal connection to you, the listeners out there? Why don't you give me some feedback on that? Good evening, fellow listener. <laughs> he took a deep breath before he said that. It was amazing to see. Watch the video. Uh, this <laughs> is, get us on YouTube. This is uh, No Driving Gloves. Uh, we've got Sean Yoder with us tonight. Will's filming his TV show, hanging out with Courtney Hansen. It's, it's a rough gig, but someone has to do it. And Derek's got a whole new structure, and we're still working with him. We've got, we've got a topic. We'll see if we can get to the topic. Sean, how's things been going for you? It's been a long time since we've actually done a chat-type show. Just us? Um, yeah, we've we've had so many amazing guests lately. It has been a while since it's just been us hosts. Yeah, dude, I'm I'm as busy as ever. I I don't I know a lot of folks have slowed down uh, with everything that's going on in the world right now, but with what I do on a daily basis and and where we're going with Nemesis Lab and and the simulation development and all that stuff, things are wide open right now in that arena, and we're doing our best to make the world aware of who we are and what we do and all that good stuff. You know, just creating a lot of content revolving around simulation. And some of that has spilled over into no driving gloves. And I know from talking with you, John, I know you were like, I don't necessarily understand the cannonballish run videos that you're posting, but <laughs> they're fun, man. It's just having a good time with a steering wheel and a pedal set. And I'm driving cars. They're just virtual cars. Just hopping in and driving cross country every once in a while. The game that I'm doing it in is called The Crew 2. It's a living, breathing 3D world that is a condensed version of the U.S. That last run I did from like, I don't know, it's like my, it's south of Miami, Florida, up to the Seattle Space Needle. And you can see that in, that run and it's entirely, took. it was like 90 real miles and it took like 50 minutes. It was amazing. It was, it's just fun talking about the cannonball run and one of the last episodes we've done without a guest was our covid cannonball episode and i was kind of irritated when i was listening to a fellow podcaster and you can go back and listen to our interview with matt farah and he mentioned he was going to interview ed bowling right after us and sure enough his episode releases and what do they do they cover every topic and every question we asked in our show <laughs> it's almost like farah stole our show i don't think he did I still gonna accuse, I'm gonna accuse him. <laughs> Are you? Are you that's great. It's a great idea. It's a great idea. Matt Farah has the the absolute coolest indoor car storage facility I've ever seen in my entire life, and basically told us if if the world started to end that we had an invitation to head that way, and now you've ruined it. So thanks for that. I appreciate that. That's uh, our only chance for survival in the apoc- apocalypse was was fair and you shot that just shot it down completely. i'm guessing we're probably number 23 or 24 on his favorite people in the world list anyway and he's only got two, and he's only got two parking spots i don't so think we we're going to get parking anyway for the i don't want parking i just want to get into the bomb shelter i want that portion of it or i guess like right in our backyard there's the the basement at at a certain museum that no, I think think Ferris is probably even more structurally sound than that. But I think it really is, man. What he was talking about, way that that structure is built, unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable. I'd like to know. I'd like to know how much that building weighs. Three pounds. Three and a half. Three and a half. Gotta pounds. be. 
It's got to be all a three and a half. <laughs> it's ridiculous. All right, what's the topic tonight, John? Let's let's dig into this thing. Let's knock it out of the park. Kind of a relevant topic because a few days ago we released our Lane Motor Museum interview. Uh, you know, we'd interviewed Jeff Lane a couple of months back, and we agreed we'll hold the episode until normalcy kind of returned to the world or we were getting back to it and he knew what was in store for his museum and uh his music we're recording on wednesday his museum opens on uh thursday the 11th so tomorrow uh usa today i don't understand why this poll pops up and i always like criticizing some of these polls i don't want to go through it place by place they're running a poll for the best attraction for car lovers they leave that so wide open. What is the best attraction for car lovers? And they list some very popular museums. Most of their most of their selections are museums. Yeah, and and that's it. That leaves a lot off. I mean, they throw some events on there, but I think it's very very narrow. I don't want to be harsh on it. And I'll take uh, Henry Ford's on the list and. Henry Ford's a great car museum, but it's a lot more than a car museum. It is a technology museum. I really wish Derek was here tonight. You know, he used to be a uh, conservator at the uh, Henry Ford, and I talked to them really closely, actually about following up Derek at his job, looking to be Derek's replacement at the Henry Ford. And I, they have very few cars in there. It was amazing to me. And when you interview, you know, I went to the car warehouses and saw the back end of things. And I don't know if the Henry Ford is a place. I mean, it sounds great. Sounds like a car museum. And it is a fascinating place. But I mean, it's loaded with trains and steam engines and assembly methods. And they've got a light bulb production line in there showing you how light bulbs were made, incandescent bulbs 80 years ago, whenever they were making incandescent bulbs. So is that a car museum? You know, they throw Barber's on there and, you know, Barber's pushes themselves as a motorcycle museum. And I always push that, you know, they've got a collection of over 100 cars and I think now it's over 130 cars. So they have more cars than a lot of these museums that are on the list or a lot of car museums. We're talking out of this list of what is it, 20 places we have? Predominantly, it's it's museums. It's over 50% museums. And that's saying that the Shelby Heritage Center is a museum even though it's presenting Shelby in the history of Shelby. And I don't know if it's, yeah, it is. That's a place you can gather the Nethercut collection. It's a museum, but it's a kind of a private collection. The Revs Institute is the former Collier collection by appointment only. I don't think they have general emission hours. I feel like less of a car person because I've never even heard of that before. I guess that's just a, it's a higher end thing, I guess. I, I don't know. I, I literally didn't even know that existed. It's a very prestigious collection. I mean, he, they own a full gambit of like Cunningham's and a lot of your 50s era racers because the Collier brothers raced a lot in the 50, uh, Miles Collier. They have a lot of that stuff. They have, and if you ever ask me what one of the best websites in the world for car people, they have their entire library of photographs is available online. And I don't know what the website address is offhand right now, but you just Google it and, and find it. When I was restoring that Lotus uh, Mark 10, we had an idea somewhere that the car was red due, due to a magazine article or something. It had run one race or so in red. And we were, you know, what red, what and through the Revs collection or Revs Institute, I actually found two pictures of that exact car racing 
And then through a colorization program, we ran it through, we were able to kind of deduce the red that we wanted to go with. Just a fascinating collection of thousands upon thousands of photos. I really, hats off to the guy that put that all together. I'm actually, I just found it. It's revsinstitute.org, R-E-V-S institute.org is the website. Goodness gracious, man. I'm, I'm going to have to dig into this. Um, they have race history broken down into endurance, Grand Prix, IMSA GT, IndyCar, rally, and road race. And just some of the slideshow. We get in trouble if I, I no, I'm just going to put it up here. I'm just going to do it. I'm doing it whether they want me to or not. We need to get somebody from the Revs Institute on. This is amazing. Is just a fast. This is absolutely amazing, dude. Like it's, let's just click endurance and see what we have here. Oh my God. So it just starts with. Starts with individuals and goes. Oh, there's Andy Pilgrim, who's been on the show before. <laughs> Andy Pilgrim poses next to car number 18, Pontiac Firebird. You see, you can purchase these images or copies of them. A wonderful re- research tool there. That's crazy. I guess poor podcast listeners in your car, when you get home, you need to pop over to the YouTube page or just go to the Revs Institute yourself. Yeah, definitely take a look at it because this is, uh, I feel bad n- not knowing that it existed until right now, but thanks for... Let's go to that question because I criticized Henry Ford for having a lot of non-car stuff and education, quote, educational stuff. Would that move the revs up on your list, say here? I don't know where it fell on your list of favorite automotive attractions, but with this background and what they're providing, now you're seeing that he owns a couple of now that I know it's a motorsport, more of a motorsport-focused collection, and seeing the scope of it, yeah, I'd, I'd love to go check it out. It looks amazing, and I'm kind of blown away. I mean, I've lived in, in the automotive world for my entire life, and I, I had literally never heard of this place until tonight, John. They do a wonderful program every two years, and I was slated to go on it until I left Barber's and I can't afford it. It's like five or $10,000 and you go for three or four days and you spend three or four days with these museum curators and writers and multimillionaire collectors and discuss, you know, restoration and preservation and all this wonderful stuff about cars. And that's what Revs is designed to do is, you know, I guess, display the history of the car the way it is, unfiltered, unchanged. Um, You know, they're one of the biggest advocates of one of the things I say is that, you know, a car's an object. It's a piece of art, but you need to use it because that's a piece of art that was designed to be run and driven. And for that art to fully display itself, it needs to make noise. It needs to be dirty. It needs to be squealing tires. It needs to be out there. You know, a Van Gogh is meant to be hung on the wall and gazed at. The first car up here, the 69 Porsche 90802, that car is meant to run and drive. And Revs actually runs these things and races these things. And okay, we've spent a lot of time on the Revs. <laughs> I'm going to say now that we've talked about the Revs and a lot of it, and you're impressed with kind of the background and that, that comes up the historic Grand Prix circuit at Watkins Glen, New York. I've been there. It's an interesting thing. You go to the Seneca Lodge, you go to, um, the motor as a motor in or so, something like that, or the, the team owner stayed at this motor in all the mechanics and drivers and that stayed at the Seneca lodge. And 
you know, I was there with Bob Dance, who was there back in the day with Colin Chapman, and he was Jimmy Clark's chief mechanic and a mechanic for Lotus for many years. So he knew these stories, and it was just great to sit there and listen to them tell the stories and everything. It was a day before credit cards, and I really think it's called the Motor Inn. Somebody will correct me if I'm wrong where all the owners stayed, the guy was telling us in the 60s, you know, have $100,000 in cash in the safe from all the team owners coming and giving him cash that was supposed to port the team and pay for all their needs. You know, we went to um, a winery that's owned by a guy that used to wrench for Team Lotus. It wasn't like today where you travel with a Formula One team and 80 mechanics come with you. It was usually the driver, chief mechanic, maybe one more mechanic and possibly the team owner. And then they got all their mechanics to work on the cars at the local, you know, local shops and things. It was just cheaper. It was a different day, different world, long before the days of one and a half second pit stops. You know, so I guess maybe that brings the historic Grand Prix circuit up at Watkins Glen more on the list because the, the real circuit basically doesn't exist anymore. I've raced and done events at Watkins I, and I've I've been there as a fan as well. and. Don't get me wrong, it's it's cool. It's cool and it's definitely something worth seeing, but there are places that I would recommend you go before I'd recommend you going to Watkins Glen, but then I see the website you have up on the uh, YouTube channel here, Watkins Glen International. That's not the historic Grand Prix circuit at Watkins Glen. That's you're looking at the racetrack. Historic Grand Prix circuit is a portion of that racetrack and is a portion of the country roads and as actually country roads that you would go through. I've been up there and I I know that part of the history, but is that, that's what you're looking for right there. It's more of what we're looking for. Guy, I'm really trying to get on the podcast, but he's a little technology, afraid of technology, Ed Kovolchek. He's on the board of the Watkins Glen. He goes up there all the time. His buddy, Dan, travels with Ed. Ed's a writer for a lot of magazines and does some other consulting work. But Dan travels with him and does photography work in that magazine articles. It'd be fascinating to get Ed on to talk about some of the, the motor racing history he knows and just the names and places he's had. And all of these things on this list are very well qualified. Uh, I know I've been to... S- a lot of them. I haven't been to all of them. I think the same thing with, you know, we'll jump down to Simeon Museum. Great place. Is it the best place for car lovers? You've never been to the Simeon. Fascinating. I've been there. Got the, you know, the Cobra Daytona. He's got Porsche 917s. He's got a lot of fancy, nice, cool cars. And Simeon, Dr. Simeon bought them all when they were cheap cars. That's why he has this collection. Uh, he didn't go out and buy all this and amass this collection in the last 10 years. He's bought them over his entire life. And they exercise their cars. They do demonstrations once a month with various cars in their parking lot when we're when everything's open and running right. What really got me is you have all these wonderful cars and they're in a non-air-conditioned building. Granted, it's Philadelphia's. I assume the building's heated. I was there late summer. You still have a lot of environmental temperature swings in that. I don't think it's the best place for the cars. And it's not, to me, an inviting place. It's well-decorated with some dioramas in that along the walls and where the cars are displayed. But what do you think of it, Sean? You dominated a lot of this conversation. The one thing that was in there that I would still be standing there staring at it had I not you know, had to actually come home. And uh, they do have a 917 hippie car. It's one of the number three hippie cars. And that 
that's what captivated me. The rest of the museum, there was some cool stuff. But like you said, it, it's uh, it doesn't tell a story like a lot of the museums are the other museums that you can go to. Like it was more of a this guy's got a really big garage and he's got some amazing cars and you know, let's let the general public come in and check them out in the garage kind of thing. That's that's the vibe I got from it, which is great. It's fine. It is worth seeing if you're in the area, but I don't necessarily know that. And, and this is this is going to make the Simeon people mad. I don't see it as a destination. I see it as a if you happen to be up there, check it out if you're a car person. When I lived in Washington, D.C., it was on my list of, you know, when I get up to Philadelphia, but there were a lot of things that were on my list and go see Falling Water. I'm going to go see this. I'm going to go see that. And then next thing you know, you live in Alabama and all this stuff is about 15 <laughs> hours away instead of two. The only reason I've been to the Simeon is I swung by on the way to a, a Lotus event in Princeton, New Jersey. I believe that's where we're going. We might have been going to Watkins, but I think it was uh, Princeton, New Jersey. I was on my way to and we swung in, did the visited the Simeon and that. I would honestly say I would be upset if I made it a destination that I'm going to go in and expect something like I would see at the Peterson or the National Corvette Museum or, you know, a lot of these other places on here. Um, I really don't even know what to compare it to. I'd say the basement at the Peterson, but that's still climate controlled. And there's just nothing on on this list that I would say could even compare to <laughs> the Simeon. It's just a an interesting thing in its own. I'd probably, maybe the closest is the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Museum. That's exactly what I was going to say. I mean, I, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Museum, is it's been there a long time. The The building itself is part of the track's history to a certain extent. I mean, there's some cool dioramas. There's some epic racing history in there. You, there's no denying that. But the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Museum, it's okay. That was at a Penske dealership in Scottsdale, Arizona. And they had a Penske Museum inside that row of dealers. I thought that was cooler than the Indy Museum. Uh, the Indy Museum kind of let me down. You know, it's a basic tile floor. Funny thing I'm noticing about this uh, photo they have to, you know, explore and vote, whatever, on USA Today, is the primary car in it is the Lotus that belongs to the Barber Museum. The Barber Museum lent them a car, and they lent the Barber Museum a car for a major portion of last year. And it's just kind of funny that the prominent car in the picture isn't even the Indianapolis Motor Speedway's museum's car. That's a cool car, but... It's a cool car, and it's part of the history of the track, so I, I get that. And the thing about going to Indy is, obviously, to get to the museum, you have to go inside the track, which is, if you're a race fan, that's special. Just being on the grounds at that speedway, you feel it, and that's cool. That that part of it is definitely cool, And I, I but I see Indy as, as more of a destination, obviously, even if you're just going there to run a couple laps at one of the, the track programs that they have and then go to the museum and then soak in the history. That's more of a destination to me than, than the Simeon. I've only been to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Museum when I'm going to an event at Indy, whether I'm going, you know, when I grew up in Illinois, just a couple hours away and things like that. If I was going to the Indy 500, you, you, most of the trips you'd swing by the museum. I went to every Formula One race at Indianapolis that they had in this time around. While you didn't go into the museum every time, every time you did, when you go and you go during an event, you're bound to bump into 
interesting drivers and historic drivers. And I'm not saying you're going to go in and bump into Jeff Gordon and Rick Mears and things like that, but you're going to bump into some people with really fascinating stories. And one of my best stories about IMS Museum, my family and my dad was, we were going through photographs on the second floor of the museum and you can buy copies of these photographs. And we found this one from 82 of this Indy car flipping through the air and this guy's feet dangling out of the front of him. It's a really famous photo. And it's a driver named Stan Fox had an accident and we were commenting on it. And I wonder if the guy lived and wonder if the guy lived. And this guy came up and tapped my dad on the shoulder and said, yeah, yeah, he, he, he survived. And, oh, what do you know about the uh, accident? And the guy goes, I'm Stan Fox. (laughs) (laughs) I know a lot about it. I was there. (laughs) I'm that guy. Uh, You know, I think if you're going to go, it's, again, I don't think it's really a destination. If you're going to Indianapolis to see Indianapolis, and Indianapolis is a fascinating town. It's one of the towns I'd love to live in. Go during a race weekend, you know, whether it's the... Brickyard 400, whether it's Indy 500, whether it's they do some motorcycle racing there now, I believe. They've got a lot more things going on than when I was in my teens and it was the Indy 500 and that was the only race, the only thing that ever took place there. Great museum. And one of the other great story I remember about the Formula One races, and I don't know who owns it. I almost bet it would have been Tony George's, but it'd still be an odd spot for him to have it. Every year during the Formula One race, there was a Ferrari F40 parked in the parking lot of the museum, and that wasn't open to the general public for parking during the race. You had to have an infield pass or whatever, and it was this F40, and you look in it, and it had McDonald's wrappers on the floor and Coke cans, and the guy drove it and used it like I do a Civic, and it's just refreshing to me to see somebody driving their Ferrari like a car and not not like a pristine, let's be careful with it thing. Yeah, drive the thing, man. Uh, definitely. I, I totally get that. And I, I'm actually looking at Indy's website right now. Second Saturday of every month, they have a Cars and Coffee at the Speedway. There's all kinds of, of smaller events and, and tech talks and deep dives with like Johnny Rutherford was one of the guests at one of their recent tech talks. And I'm seeing here on their page, Indianapolis 500 practice, August 12th. It's my birthday. So if anyone wants to send me up to Indy, on Wednesday, August 12th, to uh, watch Indianapolis 500 practice, $15 ticket. What do you got to lose? Just be nice. Just, I'll, I'll take you that. Know, that's about, about a 10 hour trip in a car. You could buzz up there 15 bucks. And so, I mean, it's, it's damn near worth it just to go up and, and hang out for the day and, and check it out. I mean, that's who wants to road trip? You want a road trip? I'm wondering what I'm doing on <laughs> you want, or road trip. There's cool stuff going on there year round and the indie area i've i've been fortunate enough to, to do some work up there with some of the indycar teams actually and if you are a motorsport fan the indianapolis area like every night of the week there's almost every night of the week there's something racing somewhere like there's sprint cars and just uh the smaller ovals that they have around that area they're really active and they race constantly and as we start to come into whatever the new normal is, you know, those tracks will be firing back up. And if you went up there midweek, chances are within a, an hour and a half radius, there's probably two or three choices for, for going to other racetracks while you're there. It's just an amazing place. And it's one of the few places left in, in the United States. Uh, it might actually be the only area left in the United States where 
you can really, really make a living driving late models and sprint cars and, and truly, you know, levels below IMSA, NASCAR, things of that nature. Like you can literally get in there and, and make a living running USAC or make a living running another Lucas Oil Series or something along those lines. But you, you could drive four or five nights a week if you wanted to as a race driver up there. It's crazy. Why do you think Tony Stewart retired yeah. in Indiana? Yeah, totally. I mean, he, he grew up there, but he retired there. Uh, and of course- it's just, it's a cool place. If you're, if you're a race person, the Indy area and the surrounding areas are just, they're so active, man. So active and always something going on. It's kind of like Nashville with music. Every night of the week, there's something racing somewhere. Go check it out. Segway is somewhere else. Where are we going to go visit now? I have actually been to the America's Car Museum. I've been there. Got to go there as we were on one of those cross-country tours with uh, with SRT. That place is cool, man. Like, it's another one of the other uh, ones on the list, though, that I don't see as a destination. But if you happen to be in the Seattle or Tacoma area, check it out. Even if you don't dig cars, that place architecturally is stunning. Uh, very, very modern. Very, very modern. It's just a giant hangar, basically, with a, a really cool shape. And the collection inside it, I thought was cool. I, I thought was really cool. But again, not not a destination for me. The same thing could be said for, where is it at? I'm going to find it. I'm going to find it. Uh, no, no, no. Let me, I've got a comment on America's Car Museum. Is and it's And it's not a place that I've been. It's a place that I know a lot about in the background. Why we, I was at Barber's. There was a lot of discussion because it was being built while I was at Barber's. Oddly enough, the restoration firm that, or it's not restoration, the appraisal firm that I had originally started my first business with uh, Pristinio LLC was my business. They were contracted. They were contracted to go out and appraise the Harold LeMay collection, and that's where the inventory of America's Car Museum, the bulk of it, is from. Is there is a small LeMay museum, but this is where the bulk of the LeMay collection went. When Harold passed away, what was that? Two thousand two, two thousand three, I think he owned what was known as the largest collection of cars. He had the largest car collection in the world, uh, roughly 3,300 cars. Our appraisal firm was contracted to go out and appraise for the IRS and tax purposes every single car <laughs> in the collection. Harold's filing system is he just shoved titles in garbage bags until garbage bags were full. And then he threw them in a closet and he started with another garbage bag. And you'd go through a, and I didn't go do wow. any hands-on stuff. Our appraisers would go up there, I guess, and pull titles out. And then the job was, you know, pull 10 titles out, then go find the 10 cars. He would have some in buildings wow. and then he would have he had buildings the family didn't admitted they didn't even know he had built the building because it was hidden between buildings and had cars he he would have people come up to him and off you know hey i need your 57 thunderbird for a parade is that okay yeah go go get it it's and he'd tell them where it is and they give them the keys and they'd go get the car they just never got around to bringing it back really you know and harold Harold never knew because he just didn't you know, know where they were. The cars, he, couldn't, he couldn't keep track of them. He didn't care because somebody was enjoying his. Oh car. my God. That's and um, I don't know if his would. This is part of the collection right there. That's no, he was known for driving to Hershey. He would drive. He was this multimillionaire, made his money from nothing. 
he you know owned a he owned a garbage truck company or a garbage company in the Tacoma area and became one of the largest garbage companies in the um, Northwest. And that's how he started the collection. He would find cars in back alleys and go up to people and knock on their doors and, hey, you got this car? Can you know what would you want for it? And buy them dirt cheap or just haul them away because the people didn't want them. And that's how the collection started. Not everything in his collection was pristine, but. I've got a binder with every single car in his collection when he died. Some of the collection's been sold off. Some, uh, you know, they funded the museum a little bit. Harold was just a fascinating man. And I think this is a really good tribute to him, what his collection was. And there, there's a lot of backstories and a lot of interesting stories to do with him and his uh, widow and family and uh, America's Car Museum. Yeah, architecturally, man, I found it amazing architecturally. I thought it was absolutely beautiful. Like the the building is very, very unique. And we're showing a picture of of one of the ends of the building on the the interior on the main floor right now on the on the YouTube. It's just beautiful. Like I could live in there, man. I feel the same way about Barber. I I, I just love the architecture. I love it when unique architecture wraps around the mechanical things that we that we really really love you know it's it's just cool we pulled up in front of that museum we weren't even scheduled to be there that day we pulled up in front of the museum and all of us just kind of looked at each other and went you know we we have i think we had like four or five hours left in the drive that we were making to get to the next scheduled event that we were supposed to do and all of us just looked at each other and went Yep, we're gonna go in. <laughs> it's like we're we're gonna go in. We're gonna go in. We're gonna we're gonna take some time. We're gonna look around because it's it's too cool not to. Yeah, you can't pass it up if you're in the area because I'll be honest, I'm never gonna get on a plane and fly to Tacoma to go to, you know, America's Car Museum. I'm never gonna right. get on a plane and fly to Philadelphia to see the Simeon. And if any of our listeners ever kid themselves and you're driving, you know, down I-95 and Pennsylvania and you go, Oh, I'll catch that on my next trip through. Just think of it. There's, there's never a ne- another next trip through something will yeah. happen. And it's something I've learned, like I said earlier, the hard way that had all this stuff right at my fingertips and I'll just get to it next weekend. I'll get to it next weekend. And you know what I did that weekend? I watched cable television. I should have, right. you know, I should have went in again. It's that experience life thing. And they, when we were traveling cross country, we literally made a pact between the four of us that were on those trips. If there was something cool that we wanted to see, didn't matter what it was, you know, as, as long as we weren't on a deadline, like as long as it wasn't, you know, we have an hour to get to this event that, you know, there's going to be 20,000 people at or something like that. If we had an open day and we were traveling along, like we went to the Pez factory and we went, we went and saw the, the first, Pony Express. It was the Pony Express building, basically, but it was the first Pony Express. It was the central distribution point for the Pony Express, basically. And we saw that landmark and saw that building and things like that. If you're traveling cross country and there happens to be something cool in that area, go check it out. It's worth it. It's totally worth it. I'm slowly teaching myself. Um, the goal isn't to always go from point A to point B. It's to see the rest of the alphabet. You know, you go from point A to point Z and there's, you know, 24 things you should stop and see. We talked in the Lane episode about the Futura homes, which are the fiberglass UFO homes. And yeah. for years, for absolute years, I drove by one 
all the time on I-55 in Illinois on my way to St. Louis, going from Peoria to St. Louis. Never stop. It's an antique stop, shop. They've got these big fiberglass things, the, the Futura home out front. Never, ever stopped. I finally stopped probably the first time five years ago and absolutely love the antique mall that's there. It's a cool home. It's on the registry of the, I think, 56 Futura homes that still exist. It's just a shell. It's not a complete home like most of them are. It's one of those things. And it's just down the street from uh, Country Classic Cars, which is the dealership that burned down and then they rebuilt and then a tornado came through or vice versa. And they always have a ton of tremendous, interesting cars to buy, usually a couple hundred cars. Yeah, so basically what we're saying is if you're within 20 miles of the world's largest ball of twine, go see the world's largest ball of twine. Just go check it out. I think the Auburn Court Duesenberg Museum, Auburn, Indiana. Farther down, we've got um, a Mecham auction as one of the suggested places. I went to a Mecham auction within miles of the Auburn Court Duesenberg Museum. Didn't go. You know, I've never been there. My aunt and uncle live in South Bend, Indiana. They've lived there one, no, 30 years, 35 years. My uncle was an executive of Notre Dame. I could have went up any time. I have free lodging. My aunt sends me news clippings for, for the ACD Museum. One of my friends here locally sits on the board of the ACD Museum. Do I take advantage of any of that? No. And I sit here and, you know, I'm probably going to end up dying without ever going to this place. Or by the time I go, I'm going to have to end up making a special trip, paying lodging. You know, It's ridiculous that I've never been there. Uh, I can't tell you anything about it. So I would make an uneducated guess if I voted or voted against it on this list. Of all the things that are on the list, I mean, there, there are some things that are glaring omissions, like just glaring omissions. It's, it's really weird to me that they have... The Gilmore Museum, which is cool, but I don't I don't understand why it's on this list. I've been I've actually been involved with several events at the Gilmore over the year. Cool place. Not sure why it's here. I'm gonna kick um, myself there. Um, when I took my job at Barber's, I was also interviewing with the Gilmore. Been up there, seen the place. It's a cool place. It's a nice, yeah, immer- it's really cool. It's an immersive experience. It's like I said to you. Uh, it's like. Is it Greenwich Village, Greenwood, Greenwood Village, next door to the Henry Ford? It's this, you know, they have all these period buildings and cars and, you know, it's, it's a walking from building to building in the old gas station. And it's cool. It's a really really neat experience, but is it really a car guy experience? I mean, it's good for a family to go. It'll keep the wife entertained, the kids entertained, and there's some cars for, for dad or well, it'll keep the husband entertained. It'll keep the kids entertained. And there's some cars for mom. However, your family. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's basically, it's a, it's a car museum with fairgrounds. If you're going to have that on this like, list, it's, you need to have the, the Volo Auto Museum on this list. Have you ever been to Volo? I don't even know. What it's just outside of Chicago. They are known for their celebrity cars. Uh, right now, they actually have the official number one Miami Vice Ferrari, quote, Daytona on display. They have hundreds of cars. It's also attached to an antique mall. It's also attached to a mini golf course. And like I said, they have a ton of um, celebrity cars. It's Ripley's Believe It or Not. They have a ton of, say, a Camaro Z28 and a a Firebird and a Charger and all these cars. Most of them are for sale. If you want to go home, I think, with the Miami Vice Ferrari, you could 
if you wanted to step up, it's got a for sale sign on it. It's an interesting place. It's a museum where you can actually buy the displays, but it's a cool little place. Um, uh, disclaimer, my stepfather actually bought his uh, 65 Mustang from <laughs> Volo, had it for a while. Pretty good car, you know, 65 Mustang, had some little work to do to it, but nothing more than you would if you would buy it from any other um, classic car dealer. That should be on this list. We have Meekum on here. Uh, we have Barrett Jackson. I have said for years, Barrett Jackson is the absolute best place in the world to go if you're a car person. It's a car show. It's totally a car show. I don't know if it's 100 bucks to get into Barrett Jackson now. I've never paid. I've always been there working, so I've never paid to get in. I was there as interning and stuff like that. And it's everything's expensive, but everything, everything is car related. Everything in the buildings, everything outside. Now, yes, you can go buy a jet helicopter and you can buy it. There's a Gulfstream booth and there's other stuff like that. But they're cool rich people toys or they're cool car guy toys. And there's something there for every budget. You can get into Barrett for the same price that you can get into Disney for the day. And it's Disney for car, for car people. It totally is. Like, And just walking through the lots for sale at a Barrett or a Meekum or a Russo and Steel, any of those. Like, it's, it's the coolest cars and coffee that you've ever been to, and it goes on for days. Now, if there's ever an auction in your town or near you that you can get into, if you have got to buy a $50 catalog, you have a picture of everything you're going to see that way and a description of everything you're going to see, and sometimes even an appropriate value. But it usually gets two people in, and you can peruse and see this cool stuff that, it's unfortunate, but a lot of these cool cars only change hands between collectors. They're never on display. They go garage to garage. They might get driven one Saturday a year. An auction is uh, when we had uh, Brett Hatfield on, it uh, was before your day, Sean, we interviewed him. And the first article he ever put on his Read the Driven blog was on this Scaglielli Corvettes or something like that. And there's only three of them in the world. And I got to drive one at Barrett Jackson. Where are you going to see one? I've never seen one ever since. Yeah, it's cra it's crazy what you can see at those places. And then when you say, if there's an auto auction near you, we don't mean like a Mannheim or an Edessa. That's a whole other show. We'll, we'll get into that on a whole other show. And there are cool things to be seen there too, if, if you are so inclined. But like a Barrett or a Russo or a, or a Mecham, it is a car show. It's a car show of epic proportions. And it's literally, typically, every era and everything from Concord restorations to properly patinaed, you know, survivor cars to hot rods, G machines, pro touring. What do you want and what do you want to pay? And there are like, if you go to a Barrett Jackson, let's back the, back it up and say, if you do go to a Barrett Jackson and you're not going there as an amusement park, you know, just, just to look around, you're going there with the idea of maybe buying something, go on the first two days and you might be able to find something that's, that's not crazy, crazy expensive. Yeah, go back to one of our late January, early February shows, and we talked about auctions. Sean kind of went crazy. They were literal, literally giving stuff away. Yeah, they really were. Um, the first day of Barrett, first day of Barrett Jackson this year. You, you, what was, they had one what uh, pro runner truck there that they sold for what less than yeah. It was a pre runner truck. It was a pre runner F one fifty, like a ninety six F one fifty. It was the the Triton body style when they'd first gone to the the new rounded body style on the F one fifties. It had been completely pre runnered 
and it sold for like $16,000. It had $16,000 with the shocks on it. <laughs> and I was just like, oh my God, I would give you a kidney for that. And you can get up and some of these you can actually touch. I'm not saying go and touch, but I mean, you can get close enough and you can crawl around and get some pretty good detail when you go to any of these auctions. You know, on this list between Meekum and... Um, Vera Jackson, it's just a matter of what kind of cars yeah, do you like? Totally. Do you like resto rods or do you like kind of original affordable muscle cars? Popped around a lot on the list. I mean, of course, Mullins here, the Nethercuts here, the Petersons. Peterson's never not going to be on a... We'll give Derek and say the National Corvette Museum's on here. The National Corvette Museum, let's give him an even more prop. It's actually leading the votes right now. It's a cool facility. It, that That is more of a destination than a lot of the other stuff that's on here. See, I, I was going to say, I don't think the core, unless you are a Corvette fan, Corvette Museum is not a destination. It's very, very convenient to get off the interstate and see. Yeah. Unless you're a Corvette guy. I mean, it tells a great story about Corvettes. Since Derek's there, they've done a lot more exhibits trying to educate people beyond the Corvette and how the Corvette has actually influenced cars. Uh, a lot of props to Derek for that. That's the other museum that the appraisal company that I used to work with um, was involved with. Uh, they actually did the appraisal on the sinkhole Corvettes. Oh, wow. And they have the Corvette Museum, and I give props, and this was before Derek's day at the museum, but I believe he consulted um, when he was at the Crawford, I believe he consulted with the National Corvette Museum on the restoration and how to preserve what should be done with the Corvettes. And then they have a wonderful display explaining why the sinkhole occurred. Answers a lot of those questions because it's a question that's going to be asked till the day the Corvette Museum closes, which probably be long after I'm dead. The fact that they turned that into part of the museum is pretty pretty amazing. They embrace that piece of history rather than trying to forget it. And they restored, I wish Derek was here, but three or four of the six cars and a couple of the cars are being displayed in their crushed state. As, none of the, car, none of the cars were scrapped, but they, they're, you know, that's part of the life of the car. You know, it fell into a sinkhole and it's not a, it's not a drivable Corvette anymore, but that's part of the life of that car. And I really commend them and you know, one of the reasons Derek's on the podcast is because he has a lot of that similar thinking to me and really, really deeply cares for some of the artifacts. You ever been to the Museum of American Speed in uh, Lincoln, Nebraska? I don't even think I've ever been to Lincoln, Nebraska. No, we drove through Nebraska, but we just grazed a corner of it um, when we were on those trips. Now, I was uh, born in Omaha, but, you know, <laughs> and I'm a Nebraska Cornhusker fan football-wise, uh, Osborne days. Surprise football trivia from John. I'm but, I don't even know what to say. I got nothing. I'm not I'm not the guy that can rebut that or I have nothing to add to that conversation. I, I, I know nothing about the Museum of American <laughs> Speed. Fountainhead Antique Auto Museum in Fairbanks, Alaska. I have to check with my mom. <laughs> she, right. she goes to Alaska. I don't know. Maybe she's been there. A little bit out of the way. I'd love probably gonna have to click through their website and uh see what they've got. Uh, it's just interesting place. BMW Performance Center in South Carolina. I mean, I've been there and I've done one of their one day programs and it's cool. And the BMW plant is, it's the performance center, the, the actual Greer South Carolina plant 
and a BMW museum is all on the same property. Do not go through Spartanburg Greer on a weekend and think that you can go to the museum because you can't. It's closed. You can only go there when the plant's open, which I think is one of the dumbest things I've ever seen in my entire life. It's the way they run the thing since it opened. It is worth it if you're going through that area or if you're in that area on a weekday and you have some time. It's worth it to go to the museum. If you know you're going to be there, schedule a a plant tour because I went on a plant tour. I just got lucky. I walked in and I was like, any chance there's any room left on a tour in the next hour or two? And she's like, there's one going right now. There's two spots. Do you want it? I was like, yep. It's And it's free. You know, you get to walk through and you get to look at the production line and it's epic. Like if you like robots and sparks and all that building amazing thing, it's cool. Really cool. I'd rather that be on here than the Performance Center. <laughs> I thought it was amazing. I'm taking the BMW Performance Center as the Cor- National Corvette Museum for BMW fans. Yeah, basically. Uh, yeah, I, it totally I've never is. been there because I think you can now do a factory tour of the Corvette, you know, depending on COVID. Uh, you can f- now tour the assembly line again with the Corvettes. You can, there is a racetrack with some driver education programs available. I'm not the biggest BMW fan. I've said that before. It's why we call it no driving gloves. What they're doing with the four with the four series right now. Good lord, have you seen that new grill? Oh my god! <laughs> Mama said, "If you don't have anything good to say, I, I just, woo, it's in the same vein as, as the the performance center is. If it's gonna if they're gonna have that on there, then why don't they have the uh, the Porsche Experience Centers just outside of the Atlanta airport and the one in L.A. Those things are are amazing as well." Now, I was going to ask you about that and make that. That was my initial comparison, but they don't have the factory. No, they don't. So you can do that. I'm friends on uh, LinkedIn with the director of the Porsche Experience Center. You probably are too, Sean. Need to get him on the podcast too. And the the only thing left here is the Antique Automobile Club of of America, the AACA Museum in Hershey, Pennsylvania. If you're going to put a lot of the stuff on here, one of my questions was, why don't we have the Woodward Dream Cruise? Why don't we have any of the Carlisle events? Uh, Where's Amelia? Yeah, Amelia Island, Monterey. Pebble. You know, th- those are all, ultimate car destinations. The AACA Museum, interesting place. Probably falls more in line with the Henry Ford. Well, the Gilmore, uh, I'm guessing probably Aubencourt Duesenberg Museum tells a very good story. Rotating displays. They actually... We came in and did a, either way, We well, there was a big Lotus display. I know when I was at the museum, we lent them a couple cars. They build it as the largest collection of Lotus ever displayed indoors, forgetting that the Barber Museum, who was lending them cars, had 60 of them, and they had like 30 little details that get overlooked. The AACA Museum, very, very good history. You're in the neighborhood, and unfortunately, to be in the neighborhood of Hershey, Pennsylvania, you're going to Hershey. I mean, there's nothing there to keep us entertained when we we were there for the events for the AACA museum. We actually had to go to a a brew pub. We did go to um, Hershey's and get a tour and the gift shop and things like that. Get a Reese's milkshake. There's not. That's epic. uh, It's like having a Beverly Cola, Coca-Cola. So, so good. You know, that's the AACA museum. and, And I'll leave Barber's to the last. I'm going to say wonderful car collection, 60 plus Lotus, 120 cars. Sean, what's the problem with the car collection at the Barber Museum? Um, it's a, I mean, it's narrow in 
scope. I mean, you either like Lotus or you, you probably won't care that much about it. Well, that's like going to the Corvette museum or BMW place. Yeah. I, yeah. What? I'm not sure where you're going with that. I don't see, I love the way it's displayed. I'm going to, when we talked about traveling for work and taking advantage of things that are there, my last day on the job at the Space and Rocket Center in Huntsville, I decided I needed to go down and visit barbers or maybe I went and visited barbers. Yeah, I went down and visited barbers on my last weekend there. And so taking advantage why I was here because I, I love Lotus and, you know, ended up touring the place. And that's what instigated me sending them a resume and that. But I walked in and said, where are the Lotus? And they told me, you know, go in, turn to the right where the cars still are now. And I walked in and I looked down to the basement and there was polished aluminum 11. I wanted to see the 11. And I went to the front desk and I said, how do I get down there? I can't go down there. What? You can't go down there. Give me my money back. And I wasn't in the museum more than five minutes. I couldn't go down to the basement. The problem I see with the Barber Museum, half the car collection, unless you go on a race weekend, is not available to be seen up close. It's all gazed down. And that's you know, yeah, I, that's I, a problem. I, I, I know why it's there. You and I know why, it's, why the situation exists. If you're going to be on a list and you're going to vote for great car experiences, yeah, there's motorcycles everywhere, Surtees Ferrari, Dan Gurney Lotus, wonderful Lotus collection, collection of 9,000 Lotus models and that, that is something to be seen in itself. I'm not knocking the Barber Museum. I used to say this when I worked there. We used to beg for it because I worked down in that basement where the cars are, and that's where the restoration shops are. And that's why you can't go to the basement because the restoration shops are there, and it's an insurance liability. There are ways to fix it. They just don't do it. I think they should open the cube around the elevator up where the cars are displayed. There are ways to do that. And then still have the privacy for the, the restoration shops. I totally, I totally see that. But I mean, you you can still see all of it. You just can't get as close to it as you can. And the Lotus collection, though, I mean, you can literally get like right up on it. Don't touch it. Don't sit in it. Even if you're done with going around. Here's the thing. If you go to a museum and it's the end of the day and you know you're going to leave, just because you know you're going to leave, that's not the time to open a door or throw your leg into the tub of a car and sit down in it just because you don't care whether you get kicked out then. Don't do that. Don't be that person. <laughs> and it happens. Totally happens. It's always nice about the museums that have interactive experiences. And for some reason, I thought the lane was on this list when I first looked at it. But he's got a couple of cars that the general public are allowed to get in and crawl around and take photos with. Uh, the Harley Museum. As you go through the Harley Museum, it, it's kind of an Ikea and you've got to go through in a set way. But at the end, they have some motorcycles you get to sit on and do a simulated ride. So you get that and curves that notion. I don't know how many of these places actually do that. And you're right. You get, can get right up on a lot of the Lotus. I don't think you can sit in a lot of them now because they... Mr. Barber has a very creative imagination and he's got cars suspended and hung off and cantilevered. And those were a lot of the cars that were guilty of being sat in. Don't get me wrong. They've got some fabulous cars. You know, they've got a 918 Porsche. They've got four Lotus 11s. One is the Gullwing, I want to say De Havilland oil car. Pretty car. Nightmare to sit in. Um, don't try it. 
take it from me. Well, that's the other side of this is, is if you're a big dude, you're not going to fit in any of the Lotus anyway. It's not gonna- and one of the cool things, and it's interesting. And if you're not, you know, not really a Lotus guy, but you're still going to see, see cars and that. And one of their most recent donations was the Beatles Bentley, which is a, you'll see Google Beatles Bentley. There's a website on it. It's a tie dye painted Bentley that was used by the Beatles. Just a very odd thing to be seen in the collection. I don't know if it was a donation or a purchase or sometimes Mr. Barber gets a little odd there. Um, I know, you know, the, the collection's always expanding. Um, I haven't been in the, the building for probably six months to see what's been, what's been added. You know, I'm not knocking it. I'm just telling you like it is and probably one of the reasons we agreed to part ways. Is <laughs> I was a little, you know, I'm, I'm very why the podcast is called no driving gloves. I don't hold back anything even when I should. Do you want to wrap this up by going or, or, or listing the, the one vehicular attraction that you would go see? Uh, the one that I'm going to click and vote for the one that you're going to either click and vote for or the one that's not on the list that you would literally, that you view as the pinnacle, the premier automotive attraction. And I'm just going to say on the planet, don't limit it to, to the States unless it's in, I mean, if it's in the States for you, then great. I, I've got a limit to limit to the States. I think I'm going to make you, because I know where you're going. I think you need <laughs> to do your, your, your worldwide one, but you, you got to give us one in the States too, because this is what this list is limited to. It's, it's very difficult for me and I'm not thinking of everything. And if you throw Amelia Island and you throw Monterey in there, it makes it a little bit more difficult, but I, I'm going to narrow it down a little bit more. My vote would be for the Barrett-Jackson Collector Car Auctions, and it says multiple locations. No. Barrett-Jackson Collector Car Auctions, January, all the other auctions going on with RM. Scottsdale. Uh, with with Bond. Bon, yeah. You, you want to go to the Scottsdale auctions. There's more to do in those four or five days than you will ever be able to do and be able to see. I think it would be an immersive experience. You could leave your hotel, go to an event, drop dead, take a, you know, take an Uber back to the hotel, get up in the morning and all you would be is cars. There's nothing else on this list that's going to be nonstop cars, seven days, you know, well, say five days in a row. And I even will venture to say that Monterey Car Weeks won't even offer you that. They offer you segmented little events. Scottsdale auction weeks, you make the plan, you write your ticket, you figure out where to go. And it's 18 hours a day. It's, it's nonstop. You don't have to worry about anybody else. You know, you know, you're going to go to Bonham's in a night, you know, you're going to go to RM in a night and they do a really good job of trying not to overlap those two. Russo Steel is going to run for a few days. Barrett Jackson's going to run for a few days. Leakey's going to run for a few days. And I don't know who else is on the gambit out there, but you know, that's five auctions. Probably, I mean, Barrett Jackson alone is going to run 2,000 cars. So you figure 3,000 cars and anywhere from, say, 1,000 bucks, $3,000 to seven, seven figures, eight figures, millions and millions of dollars. This is going to sound really, really odd, especially to you, John. I think I agree. <laughs> I think <laughs> there are only a couple other things that may trump that for me. But I think in the grand scheme, um, it's it's really tough to beat Scottsdale, Barrett, 
that that entire week is amazing. You know, if, if I have to keep it to North America and I have to keep it to an event that is open to the public, then that Barrett week would definitely be the the one. SEMA, obviously, if you if you are either if you're in the vehicular industry or you know someone who is that can get you into SEMA, SEMA is pretty epic. You have to wade through a lot of the stuff that you don't care about to get to the stuff that you do. But the cool thing about SEMA is it's everything new for the next year. No matter what you care about, whether it's lifted trucks or slam trucks or hot rods or race cars or neon and 30 inch wheels or, you know, it doesn't matter. It's at SEMA. SEMA is cool, but you have to be an industry insider or know somebody to get you into that. If we're going for open, open to the public, I'm going with Barrett. If we're going to, if you're an industry insider, go to SEMA. And if we're opening up to the whole world, I'm going to Ferrari world just because it's, it's a dream. And it turns me into a five-year-old just thinking about it. And I want to ride a roller coaster that goes zero to 150 miles an hour in 4.9 seconds. That sounds like fun. Those are my picks. I say, there you have it. I'm going to finish it up for everybody. No Driving Gloves, nodrivinggloves.com. Facebook, No Driving Gloves, uh, No Driving Gloves Pod on Twitter. Otherwise, it's No Driving Gloves anywhere, Instagram and such. Uh, Give us a like, tell somebody about us, share this podcast out to people. We're on a really big growth spurt now. We've got some great interviews in the books or in the can over the last three months. At least a half dozen or more guests scheduled. It's amazing. You know, since we've added Sean to the to the mix here to help keep podcasts rolling and that I'm scheduled and I'm booking people telling them your your podcast isn't gonna air until you know, late August. And you're fine with that. It's kind of a nice feeling. All your listeners, you've helped with that. More we're out there, the better the guests we get. Um, Like I say, just we asked to share. We've been running some, you know, kind of giving away some magnets and stickers and stuff on Facebook quite often now with little trivia questions. Have to listen to the podcast to know the answer, but give it a try. That's going to be it. I'm going to wrap it up for tonight. If you're listening to this the week of the 15th, be sure to check out the uh, Brian, you know, the last three episodes, the Lane Motor Museum, uh, Brian Fuller and Matt Farah. I mean, boom, boom, boom. You really can't, really can't knock it. Uh, Good things. Some pretty Good decent things. There's more to come. And before that, if you're into the racing thing, we've got, you know, what was that? Ben Keating, Randy Popes. Bill Riley. Yeah, Bill Riley. Yeah, it's, we've got, and there's definitely more to come motorsport wise. We have some pretty amazing stuff lined up. Well, thank you for listening. Sean and I are out of here for the night. In tribute to Derek, Sean. Zamboni.